Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work, according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God, who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world, by holding firm to the word of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labour for nothing. But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who will generally care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character, because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. But I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need, since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I am very eager to send him so that you may rejoice again when you see him, and I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and hold people like him in honour, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. What do the uh, following people, uh, do you think, have in common? Neil Armstrong, Hugh Jackman and uh, Daniel Radcliffe, three quite different people. These, all of these three people uh, have their names on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, Hollywood Stars Walk of uh, Fame. Of course, uh, these are the powerful and influential people, the people that others look up to or aspire to become. Uh, they have people that have made it. They've got their name down there as a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. I mean, you couldn't get any better than that, could you? Now, in our Bible reading today, in case you haven't noticed, we as Christians, although we probably don't have... Anyone have their name on this? No, probably not. Uh, although we don't have our names on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, nevertheless, we are called as God's children to shine like stars in the world. Now, that's, a, that's a quite a big call being stars in the world, totally different to the Hollywood star. Uh, the Hollywood star has, uh, you know, 
I guess, uh, power in our worldly sense and influence. Uh, the star of the Christian and the shining of the Christian is totally the opposite because we are to imitate Christ's humble obedience. That's actually the context of the Bible reading today. Although Jesus, being equal with God, did not consider equality with God something to hold on to, but made himself nothing, coming as one of us into our world, obedient to his Father to the point of death for us, to serve us, that we could be God's children. So it's totally the opposite to the stardom of Hollywood, totally the opposite to the way the world thinks of, of stars. Well, how are we to shine like stars? Well, like any star that shines in the night sky, or even the Hollywood stars possibly, there's something within them that they have to work out. There's something within them that they have to work out. Could be uh, like the star, of course, there's gases that have to get worked out. And you could possibly say that's similar to the... Uh, no, we won't go down there. But uh, the Hollywood star or the actor or the playwright, they have something within them that they just have to sort of get out. It's worked out, it's seen. And that's exactly what Paul is asking and telling the Philippian Christians, the believers, that they have to do. They have a salvation from God. They are children of God. They are saints. That's what he's called them in chapter 1. And they are to live out the life that God has given them. And that's the logic of Philippians 2. If you've got any encouragement for being in Christ because you are one of God's children, because you are a saint, if you know anything of God's love, if you have any fellowship with the Holy Spirit, if you have any kindness and mercy within you, then don't just live for yourselves, but live in humility, considering others more important than yourselves. Don't look to your own interests, but look to the interests of others. That's exactly how Jesus lived. So have the same attitude of Jesus who didn't consider equality with God something to be held on to, but emptied himself, as I've said, taking on the, our likeness and serving us in humble obedience to the point of death. Therefore, oh, actually, he's also now raised and given a name that is above every name. He is the humble servant who came. He is the exalted king who reigns. And because of this, in the light of this, flowing out of this as followers of Jesus, then work. Do, become, shine, hold, and rejoice. Now, I don't have any points. You'll be pleased to know. I don't have any points for my sermon today, except for these words up here on the screen. Working, doing, becoming, shining, holding, rejoicing, because they are the key ideas from verses 12 to 18. And let's just briefly skate through them. He says, in the light of this, in the light of Christ's humility and service of you and his exaltation as king, then work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What does work out your salvation mean? It doesn't mean like you don't know what it is, like a mathematics problem at school and you've got to figure it out. It's not that type of work it out. It's actually living it out. Nor is it working out your salvation as if you've got to work for it you know like running for the olympic games or doing the high jump you know those who do the best and who are the quickest well they win now it's not like that sort of working out it's it's actually living out what god has put in you as one of his children it's living out the fact that you are a saint god has called you to be his you are his holy treasured possession 
You are his, in his service to be used by him. Work out your salvation. It's a li- little bit like sticking a bit of yeast into uh, the, the, the bread flour and uh, the water. You know, you work it through. Some of you have been baking sourdough bread, I know, through the COVID period. Um, and, 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 and I too have the occasional dabble in, in pizza dough and all that. I know what it's all about. You can see the effect of the yeast in that dough as it rises. And that's really what Paul is saying to, to us here. He's saying to them and he's saying to us, live out your salvation. And it's to live, living out Christ's obedience is to be practically seen in our obedience to God. Living out Christ's humility is to be practically seen in our humble service of God and of others. And it's to be worked out, notice, with fear and trembling. It's not the sort of fear of an anxious fear before God because he has been immensely kind in serving us. He sent his son to die in our place for us, on behalf of us, as a sacrifice for us. His love for us is huge. It's not that sort of fear of God, but it is standing in awe of God because he is at work in you and in me. I mean, that's a massive thing. This is not some sort of pep talk that a coach might give at half time or this is not some sort of oh, bestseller book that you might pick up you know be your best self today or whatever it might happen to be this is God at work it's not something that we can take or leave if you are a saint of God if you are a child of God then this is for you this is for me it's very important and this idea of God at work in us will guard us against on the one hand, despair, as if oh, all of my Christian growth is all up to me. I've just got to do better. And we're all sort of beating each other up to say, hey, you've got to do better. Hey, how come you're not here at this? How come you're not doing this? No, it's not like all up to us because God is at work in us. It'll drive, us, it'll drive despair away. And also it will drive, on the other hand, it'll drive pride away because any thing you see in your life that is of godly growth is not up to you or because of you or me it's because of God at work in us well this God at work in us will also not lead us should not lead us into the idea well God's at work in me I don't have to do anything it won't lead us into you know let go and let God it won't lead us to passive inactivity. We've got, a, we've got a part, our part to play in our Christian walk and in our Christian growth. And now over the years, uh, I'm, a, well, I'm a musician and I've done many uh, organ, that's a very old, or oh, this is a picture of it, it's a very old instrument, uh, organ and piano recitals around, uh, around uh, this fine town and uh, further afield. And... After, sometimes, well, quite often after the recital, someone will come up to my wife Sally and I and they will ask Sally, oh, do you play the piano as well? And she will say, yes, I do. In fact, I've done more training than Cole, than I have. Uh, Actually, Sally's done six grades of piano. Is that right? Grade six? I don't really know. Because actually I've done no grades. I'm largely self-taught. So she will say to the person, yes, I do play the piano and I've done six grades more than Cole, at which point they all go, oh, really? And then she will say to them, oh, yes, but he's got something in him 
that I don't have. And then I'll say to Sally, yes, I, well, I don't know about that, but I've had to work really hard at learning and practising and, and, and spending hours and hours and hours at this craft to, to sort of get where I am. And then she'll say, well, yes, but that's easy for you to do all of that practice because you've got something in you that is... And I'll go, well, yeah. And at that particular point, I tend to press the, pull the abort shoot and get out of that conversation because it's going nowhere. Even last night over dinner, we were talking about this. You know, well, you, you, yeah. yeah. And I'm, well, yeah, I do work hard. Now, the thing is, we do have the enabler in us as Christians. It's the Spirit of God. God is at work in us, and yet we've got to work it out. We've got to live it out. It's not like, oh, thanks God, I'm forgiven. I'm still going to live life my own way, self-centred, living as I please. No, we can't do that. There's a call here to live it out, to work it out. Now, of course, no illustration is perfect, pardon my little ramble there, but um, I think it's helpful for us to understand that God is at work in each and every single one of us to do his will and to do his work and to fulfill his good purpose. Isn't that lovely? It's his good purpose. And it's the plan of God for you and for me that we would be transformed to be like the image of his son who humbled himself to the point of death, not my will but yours uh, be done. And it's a promise of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, where God says, yes, I'm going to do a new thing one day in my people, a new covenant. I'm going to remove their heart of flesh, their heart of, sorry, I'm going to remove their heart of stone and put a heart of flesh in. They will know me and they will be able to obey me. And all of this is in fulfilment of the coming of the Spirit of God, who is in us uh, to change us. Uh, friends, we will not shine like stars in the world if we are not living out the salvation that God has put in. God is at work. Secondly, the second idea here in verse 14 is doing. Do everything without grumbling and uh, arguing. Well, it's a pretty big call, isn't it? That word everything, is a, it's a real stumbling block, isn't it? But it'd be nice to say, well, on a good day, you know, try to be happy and not to be grumbling. No, it says do everything uh, without grumbling and arguing. If we're to shine like stars in the universe, in this world, which is darkened, uh, this is what we need to consider. The context here, of course, is life within the church. Uh, do, and, uh, don't do everything. Uh, don't do everything without grumbling and arguing. But the everything, of course, goes beyond church life, does it not? And it'll guard us against our self-centered tendency. Grumbling and complaining and arguing against God it was has always really been something that we've struggled with uh, from the from the moment that God rescued them. His people in the Old Testament out of slavery in Egypt. The very next chapter is recorded. You know, they get out into the desert and they start to grumble and they start to complain. They start to whinge. What about the plan of God? What about the presence of God? What about the food? What about the provision? What about the protection? Where is God? From, from Exodus 16 onwards. That, that, that's, that's the refrain of, of the people of God. And Paul takes this up in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians to say, well, they... 
Look back there then, Christians, and learn from them. You know, don't have, be careful of your heart. Be careful of grumbling. Be careful of arguing. You see, humble obedience to God, as living as Jesus lived, the humble servant is to be done without grumbling and arguing as we follow him. Now, this is quite difficult for us. Well, uh, speaking personally, it's quite difficult because the commands of God cut across and, and, and the other way to the way I want to live. But we are called to a life of obedience without grumbling and without arguing. I mean, I see it in my home. Of course, you don't because your home is perfect. But uh, my home, you know, you ask the children, they're not now because they're big enough to... They're, no, I don't ask them now because actually they do it by themselves. Thank the Lord. But um, when they were younger, you ask them to take the, clean their room. Now, they might do it, but they might be grumbling and complaining and arguing about it. Now, is that the attitude we ought to have? No, it's not. They could say, well, I got the job done. But hey, you know, like really, frankly, it would have been easier for me to do it myself than to have to go through all of that with you. Do you, know, do you know what I mean? Just imagine your home. I'm sure it's nothing like this. Uh, you know, ask them to take the bins out. Okay, I'll do it myself. Don't worry about it. I'll do it myself. Okay, we are to live lives of obedience without grumbling or arguing. It's a big call. Can any of us do this? No. That's why God is at work in you. That's why God is at work in me. To do his will and to do his work. And we need his help because his commands are like, sometimes they're beyond our own strength. In fact, I would say they're all beyond our own strength. That's why God is at work in, in us. So what's, yeah, what's your trigger po uh, points for grumbling and arguing? Tiredness, busyness, feeling unwell, feeling like you haven't had your own time, feeling like I am just my head's under the water. What's your trigger point? It's probably helpful for us to think about what is that you know triggers these things within us personally but on a wider scale tragically tragically churches are places where grumbling and arguing uh, and leading to factions and divisions and so on sadly over the most trivial of things try paint changing the paint color or the music style in your church and see how you get on i mean these are the problems that we have but we're, we're actually the call is just get over it because Christ has died for us. He's shed his blood for us. In mercy and humility and in obedience and in love. And we are to stand at the foot of the cross. In awe of his mercy. How can I then turn to you and argue about nothing? Jesus, of course, illustrates this a number of times. Doing, doing everything without grumbling and arguing. Doesn't mean that you become a doormat. Okay? 
If somebody is doing, not treating you as you should be, is not treating you as you deserve, then you speak up. I'm not saying be a doormat. But this attitude of humble obedience to God who loves us will radically change our attitudes when it comes to serving him and when it comes to serving each other. And it's a big call. It's beyond us. That's why he's at work. Well, blameless. Become blameless and pure children of God. Without fault and in a crooked and perverted uh, generation. Blameless here doesn't mean we're to be sinless, but it does mean that we are to be changed to be more like Christ. And, it, and so that others, even though they might want to take us down and criticise us, will not be able to throw mud at us. It's a big call again. And that's why God is at work within us to do his will and to do his work according to his good purpose. So you, are you feeling frustrated and annoyed at yourself that you are not doing everything without grumbling and arguing? Are, are you being frustrated because you're not blameless and pure children of God? Then join the club because none of us are there yet. We will struggle with sin until the day God calls us home. But we are to be progressing in a godliness of life for his glory. Not because it's up to us. Not because we're whipping ourselves. But because no, nothing less than the almighty God is at work in you by his spirit to do his good work and to fulfill his good purpose. Becoming blameless in a wicked and perverted generation. That's an interesting observation of, of, of Paul's, the world around him at that day. You think, well, that sounds like today. Well, it is because the world has always been this way. But friends, we will not shine like stars if we're constantly grumbling and arguing and if we're not living out a godliness of life. But when we do this, then we will be shining like the stars in the world. Shining in a darkened world. Shining not only to show the light of Christ, but as stars were used then and today, shining to direct people to him the true light, people that are in this warped and perverted generation, that we would lovingly point them to see the beauty of Jesus in his humbling of himself to serve us in death. Pointing to Jesus and that they would see his lordship, his kingship, the exalted and given the name above every name, that at his name every knee will bow, that we would lovingly point to his saving work and his glorious identity, king, sovereign, majestic, judge, returning. What a great privilege we have. I don't know if you realise or think about this, what a great privilege we have, the God of the universe, 
has called us his, made us his, children of God, that we would shine for him in a world that will hate that light. What a privilege we have. We can make a massive difference in shining like stars in the world for God's glory as God's people. I've just noticed over the years that when I'm cheerful, i.e. not arguing and grumbling and complaining, when everyone else is arguing and grumbling and complaining, what a massive difference it has made to different people. Uh, When I'm at the shops, and maybe you can apply this to yourself, when we're at the shops and there's uh, a line-up, there's a queue, people aren't going, things aren't going well, the register breaks down or whatever, there's flu- the people there are flustered. What is, what is all the people in the queue doing? They're complaining. You can, you can bet it. They're, they're just whinging, they're complaining. They'll, they'll complain to the person at the counter. Don't join in. Do everything without complaining and arguing. Oh, that's a big call. God is at work in you to fulfil his good purpose. So when you get to the counter, just say thank you to the person. When you're at the cafe, say thank you to the person. And if there's people at Macca's that are working their guts out behind down there, yell out, thanks heaps, everyone. I was up there the other night and the guy was whinging his head off at the front. He was right, he would not move from the place. And I thanked everyone. He says, oh, you know, I've been waiting here. And I turned to him and I said, I've been waiting here too. Maybe God's trying to teach you patience and me too. But often I will say to the people, after I say that, they will say, oh, thank you. And I will say, you can thank Jesus for he's changed me. Nothing more said. This happened at Winston Hills a few years back. Oh, it was a catastrophe behind the counter. One of these, it was a, it was a, was a it, was, it had ladies' clothes in there. I was in there because Sally was there. Just thought I'd tell you that. And, uh, and um, I was trying out a few. For, no, I wasn't. I wasn't. Um, and uh, oh, it was really bad. But yeah, I was, I was, I was determined. Just determine in your mind, I'm going to be cheerful with this person. I'm going to, be, I'm going to thank them. Right? Just do it in your head. You're like, oh, help me, Lord. And I said, thank you to the lady. And she was like, um, yeah, like, sometimes actually these people have been really close to tears because someone has been kind to them and cheerful instead of grumbling and complaining. And I said, you know, you can thank God for his. He's worked in my life or something like that. And, and we walked out. There was a couple in the store and they walked out after us and they, they stopped us and they said, wow, I've, ne- I talk, you know, I've never heard anything like this before. And I said, well, we followed Jesus. And uh, we talked with them, told them about our church and they came along. We can make a massive difference in shining light stars. I tell you this story, not that you would be impressed with me, no, 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 no. If you knew what I was like, you wouldn't be thanking me for anything and I wouldn't be up here talking to you about anything. <laughs> but you can thank God. Actually, I landed myself an airline stewardess, a steward job one day uh, because um, I was kind 
and I wasn't grumbling and arguing and complaining like everyone else was. Sally and I were on a, a, a small guided tour around the states, uh, north from New York and so on, and uh, the plane sort of dropped off passengers from one group and picked up them, the X. The plane this day was, yeah, we had a, we, 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 every second day we were flying somewhere else, and so we got to know this lady, Debbie, who was the stewardess, and the plane was really late this day. So all of our people in our group were getting a bit toey, you know, that cranky and arguing and about what's going on. And the plane arrived, Debbie, you know, we, I, I chatted with her and she said, oh, you wouldn't believe the previous crowd were just pigs. They left the plane in a mess. And so, uh, you know, that's why we we're late. She was obviously frazzled. And I said, look, you're doing a great job. It's fine. And then I said to her, hey, how about I do your job for you? And you sit down and I'll serve you. And she just laughed, like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Then she realised I was serious. And, and, and so she sat down and I did her job. And we went, and there was only a, it was only a fairly small plane. There was only about 15, 20 of us there. But, like, it was a hoot. It was great fun. And everyone laughed their heads off as I went round with a hoover afterwards and collected all the rubbish and, and, and handed everything out to them. It made a huge difference. And I just say this again, thank God for any godliness and change in my life. It's not me. It's him at work within me. And shining like stars in this darkened world, this crooked and perverted generation is what we have the privilege to do. And our shining like stars has shape and purpose and content uh, to it. It's not just shining like a star, I'm a kind person, I'm generous, I smile at people. It's not that. It's got shape to it that is a godliness of life because we are not only holding firmly to the word of God as we shine like stars... We hold firmly to the word of life. We also hold out the word of life to others. We won't shine like stars if we're not holding out the word of life. The word of life. God's word. The word of life. Christ himself holding on to him in all of life's ups and downs. In all of life's troubles. In all of the difficulties of life, holding on to the word of life, holding on to the word of life, holding on to the word of life. You've got a sickness, you've got trouble, you've got problems with your family. Hold on to the word of life. Keep living it out. Keep shining like that star, asking for the Lord's help and encourage each other. Encourage me to shine like stars. That's what churches are for, that we would continue to encourage each other to be growing more like Jesus. So how are we going at holding on to and holding out the word of life? Are we, are we reading God's word at home? Are we meeting with others? Are we encouraging each other uh, in that? Are we speaking the word of God into each other's lives? Are we faithful in the workplace, our place of study, in our family, extended family, with friends? Or do we sort of shine like a star on a Sunday morning and then walk out that door there and then switch off and just live like the rest of the world? If we're not working out our salvation, if we are grumbling and arguing, 
if we're not blameless and pure before others, we will not be shining like a star. If we're not holding out the word of life, we will not be shining like a star. And all we'll be doing is sharing in the darkness of this world, a darkness that God has called us out from to make us his children and to work in us to change us. And in verses 16 to 18, uh, there is a return again to rejoicing. Rejoicing, Paul speaks of, even through hardships and difficulties and troubles and suffering. Paul anticipates a joyous praise to God on the day of Christ's return for these believers. And his boast in them, or boast in this, was not in his power or accomplishments, but in what God has done in and through them and through his work. And in this he rejoices. He rejoices in all of the illnesses that he and Timothy and Epaphroditus were going through, the sufferings of all of the troubles that they were, that they were all going through and had gone through. He rejoices in suffering for Christ. He rejoices knowing that their labours are not in vain. And he rejoices knowing that as Christ lived and suffered through glory, to glory, so he, through suffering, will come to, to glory. And he invites them, the Philippian believers, and us to rejoice in these truths also. Rejoicing in all of life's ups and downs as we serve God shining like stars in this world. An 18th century minister in uh, Cambridge, very, very clever man, Charles Simeon, uh, suffered hugely in his ministry for nearly 50 years. At one point they, they locked him out of his church because he preached the gospel of Jesus. And he suffered greatly. But he persevered through this. He worked out his salvation through this. He held on to the word of life through this. He led a blameless life before others in this. He didn't complain and whinge and argue because of the troubles he endured. Someone asked him, how is it that nearly after 50, nearly 50 years you continue to serve God? And this is what he says, I'm paraphrasing it. He says, brothers and sisters, we must not mind a little suffering for Christ's sake. When I'm going through a hedge, if my head and shoulders are safely through then I can bear the scratches of that hedge on my body. Then he says, let us rejoice. Rejoice. Let us rejoice in the remembrance that our holy head, King Jesus, has overcome all his sufferings. He has gone through death. He has triumphed over death. Let us follow him humbly, patiently, in a godly way as we shine for him. Yes, we shall suffer now, but we shall soon be partakers of his victory.
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, what a challenge and yet what a comfort it is in these verses. A comfort in the knowledge that you, our loving Heavenly Father, are at work in us to do your will. And yet challenge that we cannot just sit back and do nothing. There's work for your glory. So Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are at work in us by your Holy Spirit. Give your strength and comfort and peace to us when we fail, but pour out your mercy upon us that we may work out our salvation with fear and trembling, doing everything without complaining, becoming pure and blameless, that we may shine like stars in this world for your glory as we hold firmly to your word, the word of life, and rejoicing in all things for your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.